Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luer, and I'm excited to have Dato Razlan Razali with me here today, calling in from my other home in Malaysia. Welcome to the podcast, Razali. Razlan, sorry. Hey, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Marcus. Pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. Maybe too excited here, getting all the names and everything wrong here. But uh, it's always good to have someone who you know comes from, lives in the same place where I've been living the last 25 years. Um, and obviously, we know each other well from uh, all the days there in Sepang and everywhere else. But before we get into all the, the fun stories we can share here, uh, I'd love to sort of just quickly introduce you to also the listeners. Um, so... Dato Razlan has been the, the CEO until very recently of Sepang International Circuit, which is the circuit which we're hosting the Formula One races in Malaysia for over 20 years. Uh, and we'll definitely uh, do a good look into what you've been doing there over those years. Um, and then more, maybe uh, your current claim to fame is you are the team principal of the Petronas Yamaha Sepang Racing Team, which is doing incredibly well in MotoGP. Uh, and of course, the teams below that, the Petronas Sprinter Racing Team, which races in Moto2 and Moto3, uh, and again, uh, having incredible results. So we're going to have a very good look into the world of MotoGP here uh, and how this young team is, you know, breaking records and, and you know, doing just so incredibly well there uh, with, your, with all your riders. So, but before we go all the way there, let's go back to the start. How did you get into this amazing world of motor racing um, and your passion? You know, you mentioned earlier you were an ex-racer yourself. Uh, but how do you really get in there? And I believe, you know, you were obviously in different industries before and then ended up setting up a business with your brother uh, in the events management side uh, and focus on music and concerts, uh, brought some big artists into the into the country. And that kind of led to work, you know, doing some work with uh, Sepang um, at the racetrack. But tell us a little more detail on that. Yeah, well, I started my career actually as a consultant in Pricewaterhouse uh, as soon as I graduated. Right. Um, and then I, I went into uh, construction industry, uh, in a, um, specifically in mechanical and electrical in a listed company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we saw the uh, market crash, I think, in 97, mm-hmm. 90, Seven ninety-eight Asian financial um, crisis, and I was playing a lot of golf. Exactly, I was playing a lot of golf. Um, and true to the saying of playing golf, you meet people right. um, because there was no jobs then. So, uh, so I met up with this gentleman called uh, Mikhail Karlstrom. He's the CEO of Ericsson Business Malaysia Consulting or some something like that. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to at that time what mobile internet is all about. Right. And we set up this uh, um, IT company, and that's my first venture into uh, a dot com company in ninety nine two thousand. Right. Um, we raised some funds. Uh, from uh, VCs and all that and I sold it in 2002 and went into uh, a promoting concert event management company uh, promoting international artists uh, with my brother called oh. Pineapple Concerts we did really we did quite good um, who, who but did you have to the point into, yeah, who where, came into town just throwing a few names wow, out wow um, well the first artist we got got in uh, someone that I I was not 
a big fan of was Sergio Mendes, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, then name. after that, we brought in a, a rock band called uh, Incubus and Black Eyed Peas. Um, and we, and coincidentally, I was doing something for Sepang Circuit as well, providing uh, international artists for their Formula One, annual Formula One gala dinners. Right. We brought in uh, Kanye West, uh, Jamiroquai, Lionel oh, Richie. Nice. Um, uh, John Legend, uh, you know, we did that for a couple of years mm. uh, until the situation of uh, the entertainment industry got uh, not not so was not so good, and I decided to stop. And um, my brother continued though, um, and I heard from the chairman of Sepang Circuit that there's a vacancy for a general manager position, which is basically a CEO position. Yes. And I inquired and sent my CV and uh, arranged for a long uh, lunch interview at uh, yeah at Bangsa Shopping Centre yes. at this place. Everyone and, in Malaysia uh, will know and, that place. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and of course I I know my chairman very well. We uh, a little bit of uh, nepotism there, I think, uh, <laughs> and uh, but. Unfortunately, after that long interview, uh, my, my chairman, the chairman, then said, "No, uh, I'm not. I'm not qualified or experienced enough to be the general manager of uh, Sepang Circuit." Right. And uh, I was very disappointed. Right. Um, but six months later, I got a call from a headhunter. At that time, Sepang Circuit was owned by Malaysia Airports. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Malaysia Airports was doing a recruitment or headhunting for a for that position, and I was headhunted. Um, I was interviewed by the chairman and the managing director of Malaysia Airports, um, and within three months, no, actually six months, it took that long. Hmm. I was appointed as Sepang International Circuit right. CEO. You. And this so, was in the um, year. Yeah, I finally, I finally got it after that long. Yeah, and this is what about two thousand well, and. Oh, um, I think it was October two thousand eight. Right. Uh, it was two weeks before the Malaysian MotoGP. Imagine that. Huh? Two weeks before Malaysian MotoGP, I was appointed as the CEO of Sepang Circuit. Right, right. <laughs> and let's well, let, let's spend a little bit. You spent you know more than a decade there, which uh, you know, and and obviously in that period of time, um, Sepa, Sepa went through you know many changes as well. Um, the industry went through many changes. At the end of the day, um, the, the the Formula One race of course was was also dropped, uh, and we'll, we'll definitely get into that. But you know, when it when it comes to you know running a race track, um, especially in Malaysia, there you know there's only one, um, therefore you don't really have much competition there. Um, but it's clear not an easy thing and, and I remember having many conversations with yourself and others uh, about that and you know and bringing in sponsors and bringing in races so what tell us a little bit about your your own experience there um, you know maybe some of the highs and the lows of, of running a racetrack well I know I know Sepang International Circuit very well I think a lot of Malaysians uh, knows it very well it's an yes. iconic infrastructure uh, for Malaysia it's uh, equivalent to Kuala Lumpur International Airport or the Twin Towers, in fact. That's right. So it's an an iconic uh, uh, um, facility. Um, However, when I came in, I came in in a situation where there was a vacuum of leadership for the last three years. Mm. Um, It was a 
they were practicing nearly a blank check operation uh, and the focus was a lot on Formula One. Uh, there was less emphasis on MotoGP and essentially there was no business plan or business model or, or any kind of sustainability that you see at Sepang Circuit. Um, I know the team very well because I was a former national racer uh, um, in a national championship uh, mm. in Sepang Circuit. So we, we know the situation that uh, they are in. So my first mandate is to ensure that both Formula One, all our international events, in fact, to be sustainable. Uh, sustainable doesn't mean it's, um, uh, it's self-financing because, as you know, F1 and MotoGP, is, uh, the, the, the rice fees are so expensive. It's more of a mega event in the likes of nearly like an Olympics type where it needs right. to be funded by by the government, especially in this side of the world. Um, so we were we were told that uh, I was I was instructed to to basically restructure everything, um, uh, have a business plan, uh, uh, promote the international events as as best as we can. Uh, at that time, we had quite a number of international events. Some uh, actually all of them were losing money. Um, operationally losing money um, and we were giving uh, facilities or track days for free uh, to to you know conflicting uh, uh, parties you know we don't charge them and etc etc okay. uh, so it was it was a lot so of work it was a mess basically <laughs> you inherited it was yes okay. it was um, and, that, and, and the culture there was, you know, it's a culture that's been around oh, since 1999 when I came in, in, in 2008. Um, and also a, a, a typical, how, how do you say it then, a, a, you know, Malaysians are timid or, or, or they're not aggressive enough. So when we when we welcome Formula One and MotoGP, they, they bullied us. Right. You know, uh, uh, basically, uh, if they ask us to jump, we will we will reply and say how high. Right. You know, so so every, everything is yes, 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 and then they don't accept no. You know, right. um, so it's that mentality uh, that was difficult that I'm not used to uh, mm. when I came in. So I had a culture shock. Right. Uh, in, in a way, so um, so when I came in, it was two weeks before uh, MotoGP, so I couldn't do much. So I let it, I, I let the event run um, by itself. But um, the first one was in 2009, which is a form that was in March 2009. Hmm. Uh, so that's when, uh, 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 to some extent, I did maintain how it was done before. I was learning how the attitude of the Formula One people when they came over, and I was not impressed at all. Uh, um, and I cannot accept uh, these guys uh, coming to Malaysia, coming to Sepang Circuit and start pushing us around. Right. Uh, so we changed the culture. I brought in uh, good event marketing people, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a total restructuring. But mm. it took a while because when a new boss come in, the, fir the first thing that you don't want to do is to disrupt everything overnight. You know, yeah. um, so you need to slowly uh, ease into it um, because we are in the event business number one. And if they're not happy with your your style or they don't get your uh, your if you don't get the buy-in from them, they can do a lot of nasty things, which happen 
hands once or twice. Mm. Um, you know, so um, so I had to slowly warm up to them, uh, roll up my sleeves, uh, uh, go on the ground, uh, go to uh, uh, see how every single event was conducted, and, and slowly. Uh, introduce them new ideas, you know, new ways to do it. You know, if there's uh, if there's a process that takes A to Z, you know, try to reduce it to a couple of steps. Right. You know, so um, it was a real challenge. You know, yeah, it's the culture issue. You know, uh, but eventually we did it, and uh, um, and to sustain uh, Sepang School, we basically sell everything. Every square foot of that place, we have a price tag on it. Right. You know, even to the extent that I had price tag on my staff. You know? So, <laughs> okay. so I charge everything, anything under the sky, and it was not a popular move with the the users of the track uh, in the past. Uh, it was it was tough. You know, we had we had clients who refused to do business with us. Mm. And of course, and we don't do business with clients who owes us money even. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, they, 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 they kept on saying, ah, before in the past, you know, we get to use it and pay later. And I said, well, you don't go to a hotel room and stay there and then pay later when you leave. You know, yeah. so, so it's the same, it's the same uh, philosophy, you know. So, um, yeah, I disrupted the the normal ways of doing business with Sepang City and we try to be more professional, more commercial, right. sell everything under the sky. And yeah, so we we got to where we were today. I think Sepang Circuit is not known just for Formula One or MotoGP. Uh, uh, it's known for an, uh, a multifaceted venue. That's the word, that's what I used before. Um, because it's just a ballroom under the sky, really. Uh, um, you can sell it, everything, and do anything in Sepang Circuit, mm-hmm. except for the rooms, of course. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that a little bit uh, later. I want to definitely touch on some of the other events you've done there and uh, during your during your era. Um, but let, let's uh, stick a bit to F1 for a minute. You know, that is, of course, the biggest race, or was the biggest race. Uh, you know, Sepang was hosting every year. Um, at least in terms of global, um, you know, I know the MotoGP eventually turned into the bigger race uh, from a local perspective, and that's you know there's a nice lead in where we talk about them later, of course. Um, now, but you know, dealing with of course Bernie Ecclestone still at that time, um, and uh, you know, tell us some stories. I mean, again, Bernie is not an easy one. We all you know many people know him. I know him a bit. Uh, done some business with him. Um, you know, and as you rightly said, he comes in, he bullies, um, and that's just the way they operate. Uh, but what was it? You know, what was your sort of uh, the highs and the lows of these F1 races uh, for you in, in over over that span of almost over ten years there? The first time I met uh, Bernie was um, yes, December two thousand eight. You know, in preparation for my first Formula One in two thousand nine obviously it makes sense for me to go and see him yes. so i went with my chairman then uh, uh so he introduced me to uh, mr ecclestern and i had i had a plan uh, um of how i would like to improve, improve uh formula one mm-hmm. i think uh, there was more or less 10 items that i wanted uh to introduce for sepang circuit for the first time and mind you, these 10 items is something that you get already in European circuits, just we don't get it in Sepang. Right. Uh, and, and apparently I was told that it's, you, you can't do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I went in and, 
and presented 10 things that I want to do, uh, at least 10 things, I think, and came out of that meeting frustrated, uh, pissed <laughs> off, pardon, pardon, my, pardon my French, um, and uh, um, none was approved. You know, we're talking right. about autograph sessions with F1 drivers, um, uh, concerts uh, um, uh, after the show, after the race, and right. some some a lot of items are basically spec fans engagement uh, activities. Right. You know, we need to create more uh, off track stuff. You know, right. uh, besides racing, you know, yeah. we we need to create a, a lot of activities. So all of them got. Uh, so Bernie just flat out said no to everything, basically. Yeah, uh, no or pay us some more, <laughs> you know. All right, so, okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, take, take, taking in cue from one of my mentors, uh, um, actually, yeah, one of my mentors is that, you know, this is your first year in, in, in uh, Sepang Circuit, your first Formula One, your first everything. You can afford to make mistakes, just do it. Mm. You know, so, I, so from that cue, You know, coming up to 2009, my first Formula One, I just did everything that I wanted in 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 uh, the the presentation that I made to uh, uh, Bernie. Hmm. I just bulldoze and do do it anyway. Right, uh, okay. Yes, he was not ha uh, he was not happy. Uh, he threatened us with uh, penalties at left, right, and center, but I did it anyway. Right. Um, like so, it. you know. So, um, again, you, you need to do what's best uh, uh, for your business, what's best for Sepang Circuit, what's best for Malaysian Grand Prix. Uh, so we just did it anyway. We paid a lot of money to bring the, the, the show, the circus to Malaysia. So, so we did it. Um, and th that's one part. But when they came, when the circus came to Sepang Circuit, wow, they are a bunch of bullies, you mm. know. Uh, you know the not the teams, not Formula One team, but then Formula One have the teams have this level of uh, um, arrogance in them. You know mm -hmm. they come, they come and demand everything and demand it for free, even. Right, right. You know, and and if they want everything to be fixed, they want it to be fixed now. You know, so uh, um, uh, so they came and and dominate everything, and and again, there's something that I'm not used to, but the Sepang Circuit staff then was used to it. Right. You know, they, they, they run around like, um, it was well, I don't want to use the <laughs> Yeah, in some ways, you know, so, um, mm. so that was very interesting. And, uh, but that was the first and the last time for me that we we are we are we're working that way so right. so even the second year onwards we changed every year it was uh, firefighting with them uh, screaming shouting session uh, legal legal issues and everything so it's not it's not uh, it's not uh, uh, great actually yeah, even right. until my last formula One in 2017 you right. know that was the last the last year malaysia had uh, formula One. you know um, they refused to do things that we feel is necessary for Malaysia. Mm. Um, but but then again, um, my second uh, MotoGP, which is the same year in 2009, again, when they came, they, when they came to Malaysia for my first MotoGP, two weeks after I got appointed, I sat down with the, uh, Mr. Espaleta, which is a, a Bernie Ecclestone equivalent for two wheels. For Dona, yes. And I present, yeah, Dona. And, you know, without prompting them what I want to do, uh, Carmelo 
uh, came to my off came to my office. Okay, not the other way around. That I had to go to his office. Hmm. He came to my office and said, "Look, Razlan, you know, we've been in Malaysia since 1996. Okay, from the old circuit of Batu Tiga in Shah." Nice. We've been here. We went to uh, South of Malaysia, Johor, for one year, and now we are in Sepangsukur. We love Malaysia. We love uh, the country, uh, but you know, give us something to do. Mm. <laughs> you know, we come here, we set it up, we race, and we go home. Right. Okay, but there's nothing. There's there's hardly anybody on the grandstands. You know, there's uh, you know, given us enough to do, right. and that was that was music to my ears. That was magical. Mm. You know. I gave them. I did the same thing. I presented something like uh, uh, more than ten things that I want to do. You know, I got fifteen. Right. You know, I get more than what I want. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, opposite, and, yes. Yeah, and you can clearly see from from my first year in Sepang as as the year go by until the day I leave, uh, which was uh, this year, beginning of this year. Yes, you can see. MotoGP have grown like in terms crazy. of spectators, in terms of events. It's it's, it's madness, you know. Yes, correct. And Formula One, you know, they they. To be honest, I was a big fan of Formula One, even even for, before MotoGP. You know, I follow it all the time, but now I just simply don't watch it anymore. Okay. But that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> now, and and I, you know, and before we move on, I definitely wanted. I mean, I, the entire time uh, for, for Malaysia's races, you know, I think it was 1999, I think, when the first race. I was living there, so I pretty much spent the whole 20 years there. Uh, probably went to almost all. You know, went to many of the races. Uh, and of course, F1 initially started with a huge. It was huge, right? The 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 the, state, the, uh, the venue was full. Um, you know, fans flocked from all over the world to it. And but then at the end of the day, it became jaded. Um, there was nothing new to it anymore. There was very little additional things going on. Um, and MotoGP, as you rightly said, was almost the opposite, right? Initially, it was very few fans, um, and then slowly it became very popular. It became the sort of in thing to come to. Uh, obviously, it had something to do with what you were doing as well there, which we'll get to. A Later, um, but I wanted to just stick for a minute to you know when uh, Malaysia finally decided to you know drop the F1 race. Um, there was a lot of debates uh, in the country. Is it was it a good idea? Um, it was a time to move on, or you know should the country continue with it? And and I actually was fairly vocal in saying it was the best thing uh, for the country as well as for the racetrack um, because you know we both know it never made any money anyway. And I did believe it had run its course. You know it did what it did. It put Malaysia on the map worldwide for sure. Um, I remember. In the early days when I was talking to people where I live and no one would knew where Malaysia is and because of F1 I do believe uh, people started to know you know where the country was so I think it did a lot of great things for the country but it had run its course what would your what was your take what was it what was it what you were what would you say now I know maybe you know at that time you were you couldn't really say what you wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> I, actually I did uh, say a lot oh, of you things. did okay uh, uh, yeah I did I did annoy them. Uh, uh, I want to share you another funny story is that um, when when we decided, when we as management proposed to our board that we, we proposed not to continue with Formula One. In fact, we were we reduced the uh, the term by uh, uh, by one year. Right. Uh, so we stopped one year earlier oh, yeah, than our correct. original contract. Yeah, uh, in 2017. Uh, so um, the. Funny thing was, um, uh, on on Saturday of that weekend, uh, Reuters interviewed me and tell and, and asked me why we dropped Formula One, etc., etc. Mm. 
And the, and then one question uh, the the journalist asked me was, um, so if if Formula One gave you the event for free, would you do it or not? And I said, even given for free, I would not uh, uh, host Formula One in oh, Stockholm. Well. Okay. Okay. So so we end we end that interview like that uh, uh, as a, as the end statement. And then he called me up. I think a, a few a few hours later and said, "Can I use that as a headline?" I said, "Why not?" Mm. You know. So on Sunday, out in Rutgers, um I think the headline says something like, "Even given even given for free, Malaysia would not host Formula One." Right. Okay, that was a big front page. Uh, that's a huge headline on Sunday of our final of our finale right. okay and, and and at that time the new owners of formula one was so upset right. you know liberty media uh, i think chase chase carry or whatever his name was yes. uh, he, he was he was there he was very upset that and of course when the prime minister came um that the sri najib came and uh, and the plan was when he came we were supposed to have a press conference uh, um to 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 recognize, appreciate what what yeah. everybody have done, yeah. and leading up the stairs, they say, "Wow, I like your I like your statement. Uh, even given for free, we won't host it." <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was walking up to the press conference, and true enough, at that time on the press conference, I was seated uh, on the stage with the prime minister, with the Petronas uh, chairman, our title sponsor, yes. March, and myself. And the first question the media asked was that. Yes, of course. You know, so, so that was interesting. And I did not hold my words. I said it um, as it is, you know. Right. Um, but the reason why we did that was, uh, yes, it has put Malaysia on the map uh, as a global destination. In fact, too much to the, to the extent that people don't know Malaysia, but when you mention Sepang, they know. Mm. You know, I think Sepang is more popular as a destination than Malaysia in general, I think. You know, but um, yeah, it has put uh, the country on the map. It promotes the country as the global destination, tourism destination. Um, but it ran out its uh, intention when we saw a decline in uh, spectators. Right. Uh, uh, I think in 2016, of 15, uh, there was a report out by Fox uh, um, Sports that uh, Malaysia was the lowest in terms of TV audience, you know. Um, so, and more importantly for Sepang Sekir, while Formula One, the rights fees, is funded by the government, uh, we try to be operationally profitable, okay? Uh, mm. uh, and we... We were profitable operationally uh, until the last uh, couple of years, 15 and 16, I think. Right. Uh, so we anticipate that this will continue and it is financially detrimental to Sepang Circuit. So I think in 2016, um, when I was hosting the Prime Minister then, and we just entered into a new agreement with Formula One of just three years, mm. um, fifteen to no, um, sixteen to eighteen. Mm. Okay, so 2016, I was entertaining the prime minister, and we can clearly see the empty grandstands. Right. You know, and and he asked a question. You know, 
actually how much do we pay? Uh, I mean, he should know this, but he asked anyway, how much do we pay in terms of right fees? Mm. You know, so at that time, and I, I mean, uh, it, it's public information now, at that time, we were paying something like nearly 80 million US a year. Eight zero. Okay. Eight zero. Wow. Okay. And, and he said, wow, I mean, with crowds like this, I think, I think we, need, we need to stop. You know, so uh, the prime minister asked us if we could try to exit the current agreement uh, without any penalty. Right. Yeah. So at that time, we had a balance of uh, two years left, uh, 17 and 18. Mm. Um, so the strategy was to see uh, um, Formula One and try to negotiate our way out. I guess the best, the, we were in a good position because at that time when we went to Abu Dhabi, uh, in 2016, um, there was a takeover between, uh, or Bernie sold his uh, shareholdings to Liberty Media. So there was a change of guards. Yes. You know, um, uh, and there was a lot of negativity between Bernie and Liberty Media, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Liberty did not want any more negative news, and they allowed us to reduce, to exit uh, uh, Formula One by one year earlier mm. uh, with any penalty, you know, so that was very good news for us. And uh, that's it. So um, yeah. that was the end of that road. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, I have plenty of great and fond memories uh, watching Michael Schumer, my my hero, uh, racing in Sepang and in the rain and everything. So, you know, there's there's plenty of great stuff about it. But uh, I think we are we really at a, at a time here where I want to move into the world of MotoGP because this is a where you are now. Um and, uh, and but it, it obviously started with your time at, at Sepang, where you started to have a, uh, a talent program to build up Malaysian riders. Um, and again, this is my interpretation of it, and I'd love to hear your version of it. Is um, because of all of a sudden having Malaysian riders in MotoGP, um, even though it was on the lower categories in Moto3, etc. Um, you started to build local heroes, right? And, and I think that's what I recall, at least, it was starting to be the bus, you know, that people aren't just coming there because motor, you know, motor racing or motor GP is exciting to watch. Um, but it was also because there was some local heroes and, and people could identify with them, right? And, you know, obviously, uh, motorcycling is, or motorcycle is a, is a big thing in Malaysia anyway. Many people ride it. Um, some have to, others choose to. Um, what's your side of it? How did you see that, uh, that you know, how you were able to build um, this local presence and how that related to the race um, and how it became, the race became so popular? And like you said, you know, with full grandstand now. Yeah, um, you know, prior to me becoming the, the, the CEO of the circuit, um, indirectly I was trying to help uh, um, Malaysian motorsports, especially two wheels, because I'm an avid uh, biker. I race as well, okay. so I wanted to help. I want to help uh, 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 the the industry grow, especially in two wheels. And I could not do it on my own, and and. Being the CEO is a perfect platform to do what I wanted to do, right. you know. So my first commitment, in fact, my first press conference two weeks before uh, Malaysian MotoGP was my commitment to put a Malaysian rider um, as a wild card in the 2009 Malaysian MotoGP. Right. Um, uh, because it's, it's, it's not complicated, you know. Malaysians will come... 
in droves if they see their fellow Malaysians competing in a world championship. Absolutely. You know, uh, um, it's like football, you know. So um, yep. it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. So what we wanted to do was to create a local hero. Yes. So um, what we did was we, went, we embarked on a search for, for that rider uh, together at that time with Malaysian Association of Motorsports, MAM, Mm-hmm. Uh, together with our national championship uh, organizer promoter, uh, um, we, which is very big in the local scene, so we went on a, on a nationwide search for the best of the best of Malaysians right. to put them in uh, at that time the category one to five CC category, which right. is now Moto three category. Right. Um, as a wild card in uh, October 2000, well, 2009. Right. So we did that search uh, and, and, and finally we came up with two riders, not one, uh, uh, and put them in the, in the uh, wild card, put them on a the bike in, during Malaysian Grand Prix. And already we saw at that time uh, with all the marketing campaign and publicity, we saw already from 2008 mm. uh, nearly 20% rise of uh, spectators. Right. Uh, 2009. So it, it clearly worked, you yes. know, and, and make it a, a sweetener is that the, the boys did relatively well. Yes. You know, they were, they just missed out on points or came 16th place and the other came on 19th place, you know, which yes. is great. Yeah. So that was, the, that was the beginning of the development program, yes. you know, from that onwards, 2010, we had our first Malaysian rider in the one to five CC mm-hmm. uh, category as a full-time rider. Uh, and it continues until now, so which which was great, and it leads to where we were or where I am now as well. From Absolutely. putting a, a young boy in a one to five, you know, we placed them in teams at first, uh, and then we created our first uh, Sepang Skirt first uh, Moto Three team in 2015. Actually, mm. uh, that was uh, that was a hard hard sell to my board, believe it or not, in 2015, right. um, and, and until. Until the opportunity came uh, in 2019, where we managed to do uh, to, to create our uh, MotoGP team, okay, yeah. so it's a, it's a nice story. I, I want to jump back for a minute here, and, and, and for our international audience here is, you know, in Malaysia we we call it cup chais, right? Which are these little uh, underbone yes. bikes, scooters. Um, you know, yeah, they're, they're a little look a bit like. You know, I'm not really like a scooter, but uh, um, and. Uh, and, and that's obviously they're, they're very popular. There are local races where they race on the on the streets. Uh, it looks dangerous as hell. Uh, I've seen it. Actually, we've been involved <laughs> in it uh, one, uh, many years ago with a sponsor at that time. Uh, and then tell us a little bit about that. You know that culture um, of this kind of racing, cup chai racing, uh, and how that, of course, translated into you know now uh, you know have, bringing in your your own talent into the into into the real world of motorsports or into the bigger bikes, right? Yeah, those those uh, category of bikes or, or underbone bikes or the lo- locally called kapjais. Um, I mean, the manufacturers in Malaysia, not only Malaysia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, Correct. they sell these kind of bikes yes. by the millions. That's right. Okay, uh, Yamaha, uh, Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, whatever is huge and, yes, and on the streets. There's millions of uh, these guys on the road. It can be a pair sometimes, you know. <laughs> but um, but that's 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 what drives the market, the economy. That that is the 
money spinning uh, uh, for two wheels, you know. That's right. And of course, it transforms or correlates to racing, you know, um, like any other automobile industry, whatever, uh, from road cars uh, and whatnot, it goes, they go on the track and race. Um, so then the national championship, the cup, is really really big mm. okay but uh, and hence we have a lot of riders a lot of talent uh, uh, exists in Malaysia so uh, it's good and bad so so I start off with the good first is that mm. uh, we, we do have young kids who can ride motorbikes and race motorbikes yes. uh, but the bad thing is it's the wrong kind of bike to race in Europe right. you know um, so when they go to Europe it's a it's a it's a full-fledged uh, uh, racing machine, you know, where, where the, 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 the tank is underneath, in front of you, not between your legs that you get on, <laughs> on, on the underbone, you know. Yes. So they, they may be good in, in, this, in the cup chart type of bikes, but when they go on the, on the real bikes, uh, they struggle. Yeah. And that's why I a couple of steps ahead because in Europe, they started off properly. Right. And we didn't, you know. So, uh, so that's one part of the problem. The other part is the money involved in the national championship is huge. So we have kids at age 15, 16, 17 years old. You know, when they race in the national championship, they are rewarded financially really, really high for them. Okay. okay. You know, we're talking about you know 10,000 ringgit, 20,000 ringgit. Right. You know, at the age yeah. of 16, 17, uh, or 18, money. they drive. Yeah, they drive a good uh, Honda cars or some drives a BMW. So, you know, it's financially rewarding. Right. Um, but when they go to a, a, a world championship in the lower category, nobody knows who you are. You are a rookie and, and you don't get paid so much. So so the motivation was different. So there's mm. two aspects here, you know, the, 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 the kind of bike that they used to ride in Malaysia and and the motivation thereafter, you know, when they enjoy. Yeah, sorry. What would you say in terms, yeah. in general, you know, of all the writers you've had uh, who've really, you know, taken taken this on and, and took, uh, you know, their skills to another level? I mean, you had several, of course, and, and I was looking through it earlier, um, you know, from uh, Zofami to, you know, Adam Noridin, you know, Hafez, etc. You know, who's really there who sort of, you know, you, you, you know, took this to the level of where you wanted them to be, um, you know, and really were competing or, or is competing now? Well, I mean, if you look at, what well, is that, well, that's a hard one. Um, all of them are, are talented. If you compare them to the to their European counterparts, they are just as talented. Mm -hmm. um, um, but some riders are less talented, but they put a lot of effort on training. Uh, you know, a lot of training and all that, so they can get better and better. Uh, the skill-wise, talent-wise, we are there, no doubt. Uh, Zorfami was uh, um, at podium uh, three times. Uh, twice in the World Championship, once in World Superbike. Karu um, Pau is the first Malaysian who actually uh, had two wins in Argentina and, and Germany mm. uh, in Moto3. And uh, Hafiz Sharin is our first MotoGP rider and, and uh, podium winners as well in Japan and uh, somewhere else. Right. You know, so they are all podium winners. You know, but what what the difference between them and the others is the lack of uh, the mental strength. Okay, their mental strength is very weak. Uh, they don't have that 
disciplined enough like the other European guys. And I can say this because now we have six riders, mm. five Europeans across MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3, and one Malaysian. Right. And because of COVID this year, I get to spend three months with them in Spain, mm. okay, from July. And I can clearly see the difference between the Spanish riders and our rider. Right. Okay, so so my general assessment is that we lack discipline, we lack uh, uh, hard work in terms of training, and our mental strength is very poor. Right. Um, you know, so so to me, that's the difference. But talent-wise, we do have it, but we need to figure out and put a lot more emphasis on the other aspects. I said mental training and discipline and so on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, let's talk about the incredible, you know, start into the MotoGP uh, scene last year where the team came in. Uh, the team was the Rookie of the Year. Uh, well, sorry, Fabio was the Rookie of the Year, but the team was the Best Independent Team Award uh, in your first season in MotoGP. Uh, Fabio obviously was was a rookie, and he's just you know came out blazing um, with podium finishes and uh, everything in between. And of course, in the second season now, you topped it. You know, you had several wins already this year. Uh, again, more podiums. Uh, Fabio currently is standing second in the rate in the ranking. Um, was actually first until the last race last weekend, where he didn't have such a good uh, race. Um, you know, the team again is in top position. I think you you're you're second again in, for team overall standing, and, and even Moto two and three are doing well. So, it's just an incredible achievement. What, what, how would you credit this? Is it really all the work you've did previously, and and just slowly build it up? Was a bit of luck, you know, having Fabio coming in there and just doing so incredibly well? How you know? How would you describe it? <laughs> I think I think uh, Lady Luck play a lot of uh, role in it, you know, in the, especially in our first year. Right. Um, number one, we we never, ever planned to have a MotoGP team. Okay. Never. I mean, I mean, we can only dream. You know, this is a childhood dream right. of mine. You know, I mean, if I can recollect the fact that, you know, I wish if I would if I would live my life again, if I would have a chance to reincarnate it into something, I want to be a, a manager for Liverpool Football <laughs> okay. Club. Okay, because okay, Liverpool is my favorite team. <laughs> or run a uh, MotoGP team. Right. Honestly, right. you know. So these are just dreams, you know. And to 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 me to finally get to do what I used to dream, yeah. uh, what I'm dreaming of is is. It's amazing. Right. You cannot get any better than this, you know. Right, right. So we were given the we were given an opportunity. We were at the right place at the right time to seize on this opportunity and work hard to make sure it works. Mm. Okay, uh, uh, it was a tireless effort by by myself, my race team director, um, uh, Johan Stigerfeld, where we started our Moto Three team with Sepang City in. 2015, uh, and then we went to Moto2 in 2017, and, and when Petronas came in uh, in 2017 with us as a title partner for uh, Moto3, you know, they were looking around to and search in the paddock for to sponsor the MotoGP team. They couldn't. Okay. Okay. So when the story arises in 2018 that one MotoGP team was financially in trouble, and we will withdraw. And of course, I had a good relationship with Dorna. Yes. You know, so I, you know, we were just, 
I can remember it was in Jerez uh, in 2018, which is round four of the championship. Mm. We were sitting down in our small little hospitality, um, sitting down with Johan, and we were talking about this team that's in trouble. And 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 at the same time, at the same time, I said, you know, sh- you know, if man, if we could get Petronas on board, you know, we can do this, do that. It could be a possibility. Yes. And. Carlos Espeleta, which is Carmelo's son, was walking in front of us. Uh, and I quickly jumped up and said, look, I want to try. So I ran up to him, stopped him, him on his tracks and said, look, I, we heard about this uh, um, uh, team that's in trouble. You know, if I can get Petronas on board and we could somehow speak to Yamaha, uh, do you think it's ever possible for us? us to take over mm-hmm. and he said you know what let me let me think about Carmelo and uh, let's see right. within 15 minutes Carmelo called me and I went to his office and said the same thing and Carmelo said you know let's do this right. if you think you can put it together I can do this for you mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of everything right. you know I That's went it. back to Johan and said Johan we can do this. Okay, let's work on it. And and we work on it tirelessly. Uh, we presented to Petronas. We address what Petronas wants uh, in terms of uh, commercial technology development, Malaysian right. uh, motorsport development, and boom, we are where we are today. Awesome. Um, but the question is, how the hell did we find uh, Fabio? Yes, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> That, that's another interesting story. So, so we, so we finally got an official letter from Petronas. Say, okay, we want to support you for the next three years for MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3. That's it. We got it. Now the question is, okay, which rider do we want? Mm. So we, uh, Frankie Mobidelli was the easiest because we basically took the entry from this team, and 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 Frankie Mobidelli being a Moto2 world champion in. 2018 yeah. is a credible rider so yeah. he was the easiest okay yeah. the second rider was a little bit more difficult at that time we had a uh, uh, five-time world champion Jorge Lorenzo who, who wants to ride with us okay. uh, we had uh, Danny Pedrosa who wants to ride with us you know and, and some other uh, Bradley Smith who wants to ride with us so we Initially, we were waiting for Danny Pedrosa, but he decided, he called me and said, okay, look, I can't do this anymore. I want to retire. Mm. And the other MotoGP riders are Bradley Smith and Bautista. They're not exciting enough, you know, because I want I want the team to be exciting. Okay, we have Frankie Mobidelli, which is great, but we need one more rider that is exciting. Mm. So we were running out of uh, riders in, in the MotoGP. So again, myself and Johan, we were sitting down in our truck, our technical truck, I think in in Asen, I can't I can't remember, and and we we had to go down a level tomorrow too to find a rider. So we're thinking, okay, who who's who's the rider? So while we were talking, thinking, and, and list our names, suddenly in during the Moto Two race, Fabio Quattararo won the race, okay, mm-hmm. and he was on a uh, on a on a speed up chassis, which is less. A great than the Kalex that everybody uses, you know. Right. So Johan pointed out, what about this guy, Fabio Quattararo? I said, Quattahu? <laughs> is, <laughs> he, is, he, is, he, is he Spanish? Yeah, is he Spanish? No, no, he's French. I said, geez, I don't know this guy. You know, then they, then uh, Johan said, oh, oh, he knows this guy. He was a multi uh, uh, um, uh, champion in the Junior World Championship for Moto3. 
He was then he came to Moto Three World Championship. He won one tourist, but he was nothing great. Okay, mm. he was. I mean, he was not even in top ten in Moto Two. You know, okay. but but we were running out of options. You know, so everybody when we speak to people say, ah, this are the, Fabio was supposed to be the next Mark Marquez, but and again he was badly managed by his management, so he dropped out. Blah 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 blah. Mm. And say, okay, if this is the boy that you guys are recommending, okay, then I looked at the fact that Hafiz Sharin then was was in uh, Tech Three MotoGP team on a Yamaha, so he came in as a last minute entry, and he did relatively well. So I said, if we bring in this boy, he cannot do any worse than Hafiz Sharin. That was the benchmark, right. you know. So I decided, okay, fine, let's do it. Okay, so. So after the 2018 season, uh, a couple of days after that, we conducted the the winter test for MotoGP, right? And at, at in Valencia, and that's the first time our bikes roll its wheel, mm. okay? And and that's the first time Frankie and Fabio got onto a Yamaha bike, right. and guess what? Fabio was the fastest guy, top eight in his first. On his first MotoGP uh, experience, right. okay, he was already top eight, right. you know, and we were like, our mouth were wide open and said, "Wow, you know, we did not expect that," mm. you know. So, so they, so he tested uh, uh, two days, and then in 2019, again, we never expect him to be where he was uh, on that year. So, but when he came to Malaysia for the winter test in February. Uh, he was one of the fastest guy on the bike, mm. and we were like, again, wow, this boy has potential, you know. But we did not put any kind of targets for him except for rookie of the year. That's yeah. it, right. you know. So, so come Qatar, the first race, you know, he qualified fifth, which mm. fifth, I think, which was fantastic. But he made a rookie mistake and stalled on the grid. Oh right, and he started at the yeah. He started at the pit lane, but he came. He was just outside the point. He was 16, and he's got the fast, uh, fastest lap in, wow, right. in Qatar. Yes. Yeah, so um, yeah. So after thought, we thought, wow, okay, this boy has potential, but we didn't know that uh, he could do what he did. So after after a couple of races, the first European race in Jerez, which is round four, guess what? We were. We qualified one and two, yes. Fabio and Frankie, one and two in our first European race in 2019. Okay, and really? that 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 was crazy. Okay, and then after that we went to Barcelona, and that was that's when we get our first podium after what six races in uh, in our MotoGP class, and Fabio came second. So um, yeah, it's unbelievable this boy, and we got lucky. Yeah, yeah and, and you need, it. you know, I think in, like, in business and in life and, and in racing, uh, you do need luck. And I think, uh, you know, but but you make the luck too. And I think that's, uh, you already explained that well in your story, how uh, a lot of the hard work then pays out. And so, uh, you know, luck is, is, is uh, you know, is, is an asterisk here. Uh, now, let's talk a bit about the second season. You know, you are standing there right on the top um, until, you know, as I said earlier, uh, last week, uh, you were right on the top there. Um Do you believe you can win this year? Um, you know, either the the individual race title, of course, or as a team. You know, is that now going to be the ambition? You know, you, it would be, I'm assuming. But when I ask you, 
Well, when we started the year, although it's a very uh, difficult year with COVID and all that, the intention was one is to maintain and 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 try to win the independent team. Mm-hmm. Okay, independent team, independent independent rider is the minimum. Right. On paper, on paper, uh, uh, Fabio has a full factory bike compared to Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankie has a slightly less uh, uh, spec bike. Uh, it's still based on last year's factory bike, but enhanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look at the bikes that we have with the riders that we have, we should be in contention for the world championship. Right. Okay, Fabio should be able to fight Mark Marquez. Mm. Okay, but but we did not put that target. The target was to get our first win. Right. Okay, if you look at the statistics, the last twenty years, Yamaha have not won. Yamaha satellite team have not won against Honda for the last twenty years. Right. Okay, so our our in intention our target was let's get one win mm. okay we we tasted what it's like to get a world championship podium second and third yes. what is it like to taste of our first win yes. that was our first target we we were not thinking about the world championship at all yes. okay so when the season starts in Jerez okay there's two races in Jerez Wow, we won. We got pole position and we won from pole position. And we were crazy. We were, <laughs> oh my God, the feeling was amazing. Yeah, I can okay? imagine. And the week after that, we said, look, that was great. Let's lock it up in a box. This is on Monday. Let's lock it up in a box. You know, be calm. You know, yeah. uh, uh, we enjoyed that moment. We enjoyed Sunday night. Now we lo- lock everything in the box and we have to focus again from Tuesday onwards. Yes. Okay. And the second race, Harass 2, we did it again. Back to back win. Right. Wow. Crazy. You know, but we we did not get ahead of ourselves. Again, when I give my team talk to the team every Thursday uh, before a race, is that we need to be calm we need to focus on per race we don't think about the world championship mm-hmm. okay if we fight for podium every every round automatically we are in a fight for the championship yeah. we did not do well the two austria races we performed miserably we came back in catalonia um, and then we uh, uh, Mizano we didn't do uh, too well either and especially the last race um, in uh, where was it Aragon one we, we performed really badly and lost the championship lead and now second with six points right. uh, but this is again yes we, we are we are not happy about it but but uh, we're not crying over it you know I mean That's it's racing. a close championship but yeah, that's racing, and the strategy remains. Let's approach it race by race. Yeah, I like this. I, yeah, so, I, I think yeah. that your team talk and what you were sharing earlier, it sounds very much like uh, the great uh, football coaches, you know, the Alex Ferguson's <laughs> of the world, right? It's about always the next game, or even, you know, Jurgen Klopp now in Liverpool there. 
who, uh, you know, I think they do take it each game at a time, right? And like you said, if you keep winning or if you keep adding points, um, you will be somewhat at the top there. And then, you know, at the end, you'll see how you get, get there, uh, fight for it. So I, I think it's an amazing story, and I, and I love uh, and I will be continuously watching. I've been watching a lot more MotoGP lately, not just because <laughs> I knew we were going to do an interview here, but also I do think it is it's extremely exciting. You've had some crazy uh, races, but also crazy crashes this year. You know, I'm sure you know this better than I do oh, yeah. um, some of the, the, the these video clips are out there are just unbelievable and and again I want to talk a little bit about that because these writers I mean it's just unreal how they get up you know they shake themselves off I mean they obviously sometimes they might get hurt as well but it's just I mean these guys are superhuman in my mind yeah I mean sometimes sometimes too superhuman you know look what happened to Mark Marquez you know I mean yes. there's this limit of course um, but our writers themselves went through their share of pain I mean Javi Virhe our Moto2 writer you know after after Le Mans he was fighting for the the win and, and he had a big high side mm. and uh, of course I was in Malaysia and I called him and he was on the way back to Barcelona and I said so how, how are you doing Ah, uh, yeah, I had a big crash, you know, I broke all my fingers on my feet, uh, I broke a ligament in my ankle, uh, I will go to the doctor in Barcelona uh, tomorrow, and I, I should be okay for the next race in Aragon. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> and, and, he, and, and he did race, huh? and mm. so in Aragon, um, he did, I mean, we didn't expect so much from him, uh, um, uh, but, but, but he, he actually raced went back on the bike and tried his best you know mm. and after that he showed me a, a photo of his feet swollen three times of his size and and this is what MotoGP riders do you know uh, Fabio had two massive crashes on uh, Friday and Saturday yes you know he, he was all bruised up and then he still managed a pole position but unfortunately technical uh, technical issues with his tire pressure um, dropped him down to 18th yeah but this is this is MotoGP riders. I mean, they are tough guys. You know, mm. you don't get to see Formula One riders with this kind of injuries. Even football uh, players, you know. I mean, yeah, these guys, do. you know, That's break right. break a collarbone. Ah, don't worry, go go to uh, have an operation and come back the next day and race. You know, mm. because for these guys, every round is an Olympic for them. They cannot afford to miss a race. You know, if they really want to fight for the world championship, yeah. and especially in this compressed, tight calendar with three triple headers, you can see it. You know, you saw what happened with uh, Mark Marquez. You saw what happened with uh, uh, some of the riders. If you get hurt last weekend, you potentially may miss the following. Yeah, yeah, because everything is so close. Will to hurt your chance to fight for the championship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so again, for them, every every round is an Olympic. Yeah. Now I know all our listeners are just waiting for me to finally drop the word here, and that is, of course, your signing with Valentino Rossi for the new season. Uh, you know, obviously one of the most amazing riders over the last decade plus. Um, you know, an icon in God knows how many ways. Um, and here he is now <laughs> coming to your team um, and adding his credentials and, and flavor and colors, of course, to it. Uh, talk us a bit through there. You know, how did you get him in there? And of course, also, you know, at the same time you have Fabio, Le uh, you know, yeah, Fabio leaving. Um, so how did that all work out within the Yamaha family there? Well, number one, we are what you call a satellite team. It's a development 
team to develop young riders with one day to absorb them. The factory will absorb them in their team, right. of course. And we saw that with uh, Fabio. A lot of people ask me, you know, why can't you retain uh, Fabio? And I said, look, you know, if a factory comes to a, a rider and says, okay, we want you to ride for us and pay you a lot of money, don't tell me you will say no. You, of course, you will say yes, you know. Um, and we as a satellite team, we should not ruin the market and pay uh, a, a rider what, uh, what a factory riders should get. Right. You know, so we, we we let him go because that was our philosophy. That was our objective is to develop young riders uh, for them to go to the, the, the factory. And that is right. the collaboration that we have with Yamaha. I mean, right. That's the intention of, of a satellite. Um, uh, the situation of COVID uh, uh, changed the plan a lot mm. um, because uh, Valentino... Yamaha factory team supposed to assess Valentino this year in a normal calendar year, and he himself was, was supposed to assess whether he's competitive or not for him to continue. Yeah. But COVID stopped everything, and the season starts in July, and with no spectators, we felt, or Yamaha and Valentino felt that you know, a guy like him should not retire during a period like this. Mm. You know, if you want to retire, you want to retire in a normal year where in front of spectators, thousands and millions of spectators, you know, celebrate this and that, you know. Yes, yes. So, so, and by the same, so Yamaha offered an, uh, an opportunity for us whether we could consider uh, Valentino uh, uh, for next year with, mm. with these reasons um, and for us we it's not our first preference because we want young riders but with the championship uncertain this year we couldn't take a chance whether any Moto2 riders could be good for us mm. you know so with the focus of stability while we extended our contract with Frankie Yes. Okay, he can provide that stability and in some ways performance, but we wanted an added stability. So we thought, okay, having Valentino is not so bad. You know, okay, we potentially, we, we, are, we are losing Fabio and we need to get the story of the team continue uh, going forward. So having Valentino can give us that good story, can give us that attention and at the same time more importantly stability because at the end of the day you can talk anything about him being old etc etc but he can kick some of the asses out there you know he <laughs> i mean this 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 year alone if you look in Bern or austria he was the strongest yamaha mm. uh, compared to vinales uh, uh, fabio and frankie even you know mm. um so he's not so bad for his age. So we thought, yeah, why not? And the financial consideration was very good uh, because it's all paid by Yamaha. Um, so we thought, okay, why not? Let, let, let's do it, you know? So, uh, yeah, it took a long time because Valentino is not a normal uh, rider. He is Valentino. So there's a lot of web of agreements that we have to sign with Yamaha, with VR46, with Sepang Circuit and all that. But... Finally, uh, before Mizano two, we made we made the announcement. So yeah, so we we look forward to to receiving him next year. 
and he's not so bad. He's quite pleasant <laughs> to, to talk to and work with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. He, I mean, you know, again, I, you you would know him better than I do. But what you see uh, of him, of course, in uh, in the media, you know, he, he is the character, and, and that's what he gets paid for, and that's what he's done. Uh, I'm sure he'd be great for Petronas as well as a sponsor. You know, adding this sort of huge high profile. Um, personality to it, you know. Petronas already has done extremely well in F1. You know, was the Mercedes team there for years. Everyone would know them, yeah. uh, of course, from there, and of course, being the, also the title sponsor of the Malaysian race for during your era. So, you know, Petronas is right up there um, in the world of motor racing for sure as a brand, and so is Valentino. Um, so, I think it's a it's a great combination, and I look forward to seeing that combo there and, and seeing you know seeing what the doctor can do. Uh, that, that's be is going to be interesting for sure but this season of course is isn't over um and i'd love to quickly talk a bit about that um you know and, and it's more from a, you know how motor gp has managed to you know keep it fairly safe um in terms of you know creating a bubble i guess around the, the riders around the teams um talk us a bit through it how did it work um you know obviously valentino recently was um Uh, I guess it was tested positive with COVID. So, uh, you know, how he caught it, I don't know. But uh, I'm less interested in his side of it. But in general, how did, you know, how did you manage to keep, you know, the team together and, of course, keeping all the different teams uh, as a bubble? Um, what was your experience doing that? Yeah, even for Petronas, they, they, they reminded us that uh, with this current pandemic, uh, the safety and health of our team members is the utmost priority. So mm -hmm. taking cue of that, uh, uh, we had we created a safety and health uh, uh, SOP uh, in addition to what uh, MotoGP have created. So we have our own SOPs. We 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 send daily messages uh, to all the team members that's traveling to remind them of being vigilant to to adhere to the SOPs that's given uh, you know to, to, to protect themselves we so number one since July I have a staff who send uh, graphic reminders reminders of what to do Okay, whether they like it or not, in their group WhatsApp, you know, they get these reminders. I think that's important. Right. Uh, when we get there, uh, of course, besides adhering to uh, the protocol, the safety protocol that that is by by Dorna, hmm. um, <clears throat> uh, we had to remind them further through team talks. You know, to me, team talk is very important hmm. uh, because we're such a big team. We are we are a team of nearly 60 people. Yeah. Um, so, so we need. To, I think it's important to take a little bit of time from them. You know, at least five minutes to really do a team talk and remind ourselves of the safety and health, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et you know, what we we can't control them when they're at the hotel. You know, there's always a tendency to be to go out somewhere and and and. And do do some stupid things, you know. So yep. we had to remind we had to remind ourselves, uh, remind the team, uh, you know. Besides what we want to target for the for the weekend, so the team talk is very important. And we also receive reminders from Dona uh, for for teams 
to adhere to the SOPs. And if we are caught, if teams are caught breaching these SOPs, they can be kicked out of the championship. Right, so right. that is a strong enough incentive not to do anything stupid. Absolutely. So how much you are know? they? Is everyone staying therefore in in the same type of hotel, or or how does the 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 whole uh, you know how is everyone traveling as as a big group from one race to the other? How is that currently coordinated? How does it look yeah. in a simple description? Well, the, the, the simple thing is that Dorna wanted to create this safety bubble or this MotoGP bubble. Right. So, um, so before we scan our way into the paddock, they have this app, uh, uh, this this app whereby you need to be tested, and uh, and the results uh, uh, has to be within forty eight to seventy two hours before you enter the the track right. uh, all this is via this special app that they have created so once you have your qr code to say that you're granted to enter mm. the circuit right. um so you have to enter the circuit within 48 to 72 hours of your latest uh, negative result mm. and and when you are in the circuit you have to remain with your team you can't mix around how you used to it and uh, there's no I hospitality see. at all okay. um uh, everybody have to be remain within their own uh, pit garages their own uh, truck right. um we have our own catering and they they make special exemption for us because we are a team of 60 people but uh, other teams are sharing with other teams you know so they try to limit the catering to uh, a, a couple of caterers to mm. to maintain the hygiene uh, SOPs and all that um, we have to wear face masks. It's compulsory. Uh, if you're close to the rider, you have to wear face shield, goggles, and everything. Mm. So, yeah, so that, that, that's the kind of SOPs. But it's not 100% foolproof. As you can see, you know, um, um, Valentino had, uh, was positive. Uh, a couple of riders was positive. Uh, in fact, one of our guys, uh, two of our guys are positive. Our crew members uh, uh-huh. was positive. Yeah, so... Um, it's it's there's no shame of you being positive uh, i mean yes it's, it is an infectious uh, uh, disease but there's no shame in it so we have to be declared you have to declare you have to early detection is the best and to determine who are your close contacts so that we can isolate them etc yeah. uh, we had one case for example whereby um john mcphee had uh, our motor three rider had a false positive mm-hmm. you know so we he, uh, at that time, before we knew that he was positive, we had lunch with him, mm-hmm. and when so we tra- we traveled earlier to Mizano, and and John called us and said, "Oh guys, you know my results came up uh, that I'm I'm positive." And the first thing we had to do, we had to isolate myself, uh, a couple of our our other guys. We isolate ourselves in our hotel room uh, until um, John did two extra uh, um, uh, tests, and he came out negative. You know, so that was, that was a, a scary moment for even for me personally. Yeah. It was a yeah. close contact with him. But, but it's hard. It's hard to be 100% uh, protected. But the moment you have doubts, the moment you have uh, some kind of symptoms, you just need to, to, to take action. Uh, and, and, and that's what the, generally the, the paddock is doing right now. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I guess we have, we have four races left, from if I counted correctly. Um, and yes. this year, of course, uh, the the race season was very different. Normally, it obviously goes around the world. You know, the, unfortunately, the race in Malaysia was canceled, and other races in other parts of the world. So it was much more within, say, Europe in a sense. Um, and that's probably a smart way of doing at it. Uh, you know, four races to go. Um, what's your prediction, Tato? Before we wrap this up here, where what do you predict? You're going to win this, or where where do you think you're going to land? You know, we have seen it so many times in the recent race where we started and pole, we started in pole and finished 18th. Yes. You know, I mean, the MotoGP Championship, you know, it, it, it's so unpredictable right now. We have the top seven who potentially can win. You know, we have Juan Mir of Suzuki, who have not even won a single race, but was a regular podium uh, 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 guys. You know, he potentially he could win the championship without winning anything. Right. You know, so right now I I cannot call it at all with four races to go. You know, we are six points behind. Um, Frankie six. You know, with only thirty points. You know, there's there's two hundred points uh, to. Five four for the win, you know anything can happen, That's and this is as much as we are sad that we did not do well last weekend. I mean, I'm just excited for the championship. Yes. You know, I'm excited for the win that Suzuki had or Alex Marquez. You know, it's it's great. You know, uh, yeah, we we lose. You know, we uh, but it's no no shame in losing. But but the championship is so exciting and unpredictable. So I, I can't call it. Uh, our approach is still on a race-by-race race situation. I think this weekend will be another difficult race because of uh, this, the because of what happened last week. And and yeah, we we try to recover as much as possible. But Valencia, the two Valencia races are great for the Yamaha. Short winding circuit. It's always good for Yamaha. Okay. Uh, Portimao in Portugal. It's the first time everybody is going there, so we don't know. Uh, again, so that's added. Uh, that adds a surprise for everybody because you just don't know. Um, so the more that you don't know, the more unpredictable it is. Uh, keeps everybody guessing and keeps the championship exciting. Yeah, and, uh, and that's true. And, and you and you rightly pointed out that's the big difference in F with F1 right now for sure, where it is. You know, there's no much. <clears throat> I mean, it's great, great racing still, but it's it's too predictable. And and of course, Mercedes has just been too dominant. Uh, and that's my my maybe our last sort of uh, topic here for the day. Um, you know, you've been involved in F1 and you've seen it as a, as a racetrack uh, CEO, and now of course you are directly involved in MotoGP as a, as a team principal. Um, what's your thought going forward in the next few years? Uh, where do you see um, both of these race series going? Um, you know, if you would look a bit into the future, uh, out, you know, past once we get past COVID and the world goes a little bit back to normal yeah. again. Yeah, I think I think the the motorsport industry will will pick up again once COVID is uh, um, post COVID. Once we have a vaccine and everything is is sorted, I think the the industry will will bounce back up. Um, but then again, it's the championship that's, that, that is important. Formula One changes a lot. Sometimes it's too much, you know, uh, um, for for reason because of uh, the 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 emission and you know from from petrol combustion engine to hybrid etc etc there's too much technical elements for the normal fans to follow you know uh, and they change a lot you know um, um, and and it, it's it's one team just dominating uh, uh, the championship for the last 
seven, eight years. Yes. Whereby, whereby MotoGP, yes, you see they did not change so much in terms of regulations, technical regulations. Um, but you do have one guy who dominates uh, uh, for, for the last couple of years, which is Mark Marquez. Yes. You know, uh, we saw last year that maybe uh, uh, Fabio could have give him a good challenge you know we, we will never know because he got injured early this year mm. um, but I think you have a lot of young guys out there that can be uh, competitive uh, and that's the key I think you need to have young riders drivers coming up the ranks and fight these established guys yeah. do you see there is a bit there is a bit more par parity in the bikes as well versus in the cars um, is that a you know besides the, the the riders of course they make a difference but at the same time it is still you're sitting on a in a very advanced technology technology machine here um, you feel there is maybe that's one thing as well that in, in MotoGP the the bikes are just a bit closer to each other and therefore create this you know tight racing which we see every weekend Yeah, well, well, the, the the thing is, the thing is, with Formula One, I, I think they are, It's not like how it was before. I think they are comfortable uh, in the car, you know. Uh, uh, whereby, you know, it's it's like driving a Mercedes, I guess, <laughs> like a Bentley. You know? <laughs> You're racing those those things, and it's just it seems easy for them. I mean, it seems easy, but for MotoGP, you can have all this technology, but you still need to drive that. Uh, machine between your legs. You need. You still need to lean it as as much as possible. And the worst thing, fall. You have to pick yourself. And that's if you don't again. Mm. You know, in a, in a car, if you if you go off track or you hit a tire barrier, it doesn't dent your confidence so much. I think. You know, but if a guy if a guy on a bike, you know, like Fabio, you know, he had a massive uh, uh, front end uh, uh, fall, yes. uh, hip his hip, but to come back. Later in the day, and get a pole position, it's unheard of. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, these guys could these guys could easily have a mental uh, breakdown. Yeah. You know, but they somehow can pick themselves up and still do it again. You know, uh, so that's the big difference with uh, uh, MotoGP is that no matter how much technology that's put in into the bike, they they, they still have to ride the damn thing. Yeah. As no, fast no, as exactly, and and as I said, there are daredevils on these machines, and uh, I'm gonna enjoy watching the rest of the season and keeping my fingers crossed, of course, for for your team to take this all the way to the checkered flag here. Um, so. Dato Razlan, thank you for your time here. This was great. We could keep going. Uh, there's so many other things I'd love to talk to you about. But we'll keep that for another round. Uh, but for now, you know, best of luck for the rest of the season. And uh, let's see whether you can bring a championship home to Malaysia. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Great talk. And, uh, yeah, let's see. Cross our fingers and uh, one race at a time. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> and I'll catch you again soon in KL. Cheers. Thank you, Marcus. Look thank forward you. to see you soon. Cheers, man. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.